So now Caroline's going to come, and she is going to share a bit about continuing our series and the theme of belonging. Let's welcome Caroline. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Caroline, as Sarah said, one of the pastors here. Welcome. So as part of our current series... Um, I thought it was living and loving together, but it says loving and living together. So same thing. <laughs> okay, living and loving together. <laughs> but the program says loving and living. T- but, you know, doesn't matter. <laughs> living and loving together. So as part of the series, we've been talking about joy and power of connecting with someone genuinely. When two people with their own separate realities step closer together and make a genuine connection through love and understanding, heaven is created and we experience its joy and power. So we've been exploring this theme. So today, how about when there are more than two people? If heaven opens up when two people connect, how much more powerful and transformative it would be when a group of people connect. Belonging to a loving and healthy community can bring so much joy and healing. The power of heaven multiplied by all the connections within. There was a... Okay, never mind. There was a beautiful stick figure drawing to go with that, but (laughs) I'm a big believer in the power of communities, but I wasn't always um, like that. So growing up, I didn't always have a very good experiences in schools, which are your main community outside of family. If you're a student, you're a kid growing up, especially the middle school was bad, like a lot of people, I guess. Uh, There was a time when no one in my class spoke to me, and it was, you know, intentionally. So (laughs) there was a group of people um, who told everyone else not to talk to me. So it it went on for a while. I don't quite remember how long it was, but it was definitely more than a few weeks and maybe a few months. It just felt like eternity. So being part of a group was not something I've enjoyed or considered safe. There, uh, it just always seemed full of potential danger. So much so that when I first got married to Charles, who is not here today, he's a little under the weather, um, he, was, um, he was an associate pastor of a vibrant and relational community. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. So when I got first married to him, I demanded, um, I moved city to, to a new city to live with him. Um, I demanded not only that he move out of the house he was living with his friends and get our own place, but also that we move to uh, a different city 40 minutes outside of the uh, community that they were based on. <laughs> I don't think I was aware of what I was doing back then. But looking back, I think I was just freaked out by the idea of living, uh, joining this group of people who were all friends with each other already. 
But then interestingly, it was in that very community that I began to experience grace and God's presence and um, the joy that is other people. After about a year and a half, we happily moved back to the city, um, and the story goes on from there. The thing is, having grown up in a, um, having experienced a lot of negative things about community growing up, I was not aware that being part of a loving community is something that I needed. I never missed it or craved it until I began to experience the positive side of a community. Then I started to see and appreciate my need and desire to belong to a group of people who accept and enjoy who I am. It's a little different from having individual friends, um, but more like you're surrounded and supported by a network of relationships. And that desire and need to belong in a community seems pretty universal in human and other creatures too. And I think that is because we're created to live in a community like that. The first stories in the Bible from Genesis, um, they tell us that we are made to be part of the whole creation. The stories make it very clear that we're sustained by the whole of God's creation and that we're called to serve and care for it. But we keep forgetting that we're part of the whole. Instead, we think that we are the whole universe. And that is what sin is. As a Franciscan priest, um, Richard War says, sins are actually the symptoms of our illusion that we are separated. Even in thinking about faith and spirituality, we sometimes mistake it to being a solitary individual pursuit. It's between me and God, we say. And I used to think that. But that is missing a big, big piece in the picture, or perhaps missing the whole picture even, because yet again, it is us forgetting that we're part of the whole and that we are all connected. We're not saved alone, but through each other. We're not saved solely by our devotion to God, but by living and loving together with other people and the rest of the creation. We're saved by relearning to belong to God and the whole of God's world. And that is where God is leading us. There's a fascinating story in the Bible about this dynamic where God's people are relearning to belong. This is one of River Kids' favorites, uh, the story of manna. The story happens right after God led the Israelites out of um, Egypt from slavery. They have escaped the Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, but now find themselves in the desert in the harsh elements and with no food to eat. And God sends them a new kind of food. So let me read this passage from Exodus 16. 
And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot nothing, had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. The Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. After this, people gather the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and dis disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day. So there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did, gather, did not gather any food on the seventh day. The Israelites called the food manna. It was like a white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Sounds good, right? Sounds yummy. Manna, um, apparently, it's, it sounds like what is it. So it's, it means what is it. They didn't know what it was. So interesting story. <clears throat> God is, it's a story about provision, right? God is providing food for the Israelites and sust sustaining them in the middle of the desert. But God doesn't give them just food, but a lot of food rules to follow. Is it to, to test them to see if they listen? I think there was something much bigger going on here. Have you had food rules growing up? Or if you have kids at home, do you have food rules at home? Some examples would be you eat everything on your plate. 
or um, wait until your father sits down and eats first. There may be, um, there may have been some implicit rules like you always ate together growing up, or everyone just ate whenever and wherever and rarely together. There may have been rules about snacks. Were you allowed to eat snacks only at certain times or whenever, all the time? Food rules tend to be at the center of our upbringing. And they're not just about food, right? They carry larger meanings and unspoken values that shape us. If you had to wait for father to sit down and eat first before everyone else could eat, that teaches you deference and respect for the elders, maybe, especially the male authority figures. And that gets ingrained in us. Um, if you had to eat everything on the plate, not complaining, not wasting was probably a high value. Growing up, my family rarely ate out, um, always at home eating whatever that was cooked for us. And compared to that, my children are used to eating at restaurants and ordering out, or live in New York after all, and they feel more strongly about being able to choose what they eat, which is very different from how I grew up. It shapes us, these things. Just like that, God was also using food rules to teach and shape the people. This was a crucial period in the Israelites' community life. They had just escaped from um, Egypt, which God calls the house of slavery. They were steeped in the culture and the system of slavery where some people are valued more than others, and some people ruled over and exploited the others, where resources and necessities were withheld to be used as power tools. They were part of a very toxic and destructive system, and God led them out of there, not only because they were suffering, but also because that kind of system is not what God supports. Now, they are thrown out into the desert, severed from the house of slavery in a cultural vacuum. And what better opportunity to build a new culture and teach people a better way to live together. God doesn't want them to go back to the culture that he just rescued them from. God doesn't want them to still live in the slave mindset or build another system where they slave one another. God was creating a new people, and the food rules were one of the ways that he did so what did the food rules teach? The number one was, rule number one was, each household should gather as much as it needs. Everyone gets what they need with no exception. They were not required to behave certain way, believe in certain things, or be smart, or be competent, or pull their shares, or anything. Everyone was included. 
in this community, everyone wants to be valued and provided for. Everyone sits at the table. Which is drastically different from the house of slavery where food was given only when you performed. In the house of slavery, you were only as valuable as what you produced, but not in the house of God. Rule number two was, do not keep any of it until morning. Why would they have been tempted to keep some for the morning? Because they were used to not having enough. They're used to unpredictable slave masters. The fear of not having enough was ingrained deeply in them. And the fear, the spirit of scarcity, always creates competition and struggles between people. You have to fight for your survival. It is what enables people to accumulate wealth when possible and use it against people. Use it to ensure their survivals as opposed to someone else's survival. Instead, um, and, and it is a short way back to the house of slavery from there. Instead here, God was teaching people to depend on and trust in God's grace morning by morning and be free of fear and competition and jealousy so that they can connect with each other and love each other. The rule number three was tomorrow, every seventh day, will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. Again, God wants people to remember that God sustains them. God's grace hold them together, not our work, our, not our striving or hustling. And in that space of rest God created, the people got to enjoy each other. People got to connect with each other and eat and worship together. It was the holy day where through these connections, the heaven was created among them. And God says in the passage, the Sabbath is the Lord's gift for you. So these rules, these food rules together were there for a reason. They were meant to reteach people how to live together. God wasn't telling individual people to do the right thing and become good persons. God was speaking to the whole community, whole group of people, and teaching them how to treat each other and understand their own places in the society. God was teaching them that they were all connected to one another, and everyone and everything belongs. It was through this community living, God was creating God's kingdom among them. As I said earlier, we're not saved alone, but through each other. And faith is not a solitary individual pursuit, but a journey with others, with a potential 
for so much joy and healing. So how can we get there then? How can we as individuals learn to belong, to live and love with others? And how can we as a community learn to do this together? So we can keep receiving the heavenly sustenance like the Israelites received manna. I think a lot of it is about building a healthy community together. And building a healthy, healthy community together requires all of us playing our parts in it. Engaging with our hearts. So we thought it would be fun today in lieu of our practical suggestions, for some of our staff members to share what we have learned over the years about community living. Um, so Amelia, John, and Sarah, um, and I will each share a practical suggestion for deeper experience of belonging in this community. Amelia, who will come up first, is our River Kids director who has a unique access to the children among us who are an integral part of our community. John and Sarah spent their lives building and nurturing communities. And I'll share my perspective at the end to close. So here's Amelia, our River Kids director. So, yes, my name is Amelia, and I work for the uh, children's program here at the River. So, um, when we talk about interacting with children, uh, as adults, we often feel like we ought to teach them some things. We want to serve them in some ways. That's very natural, right? After all, we're the ones who have more of the capacity to expand their lives. Well, I just want to share a little story. Um, some time ago, I had a really rough week. Uh, that week, particularly, I felt uh, lonely and disconnected. And um, then comes Sunday, and I did not expect Sunday to come to give me any consolation at all, because it's usually a very busy day for us. So when I moved from one classroom to, the, to another classroom, I felt someone tugging my arm, and I turned around, and it was this little boy, and he said, could you please stay, stay with me today? And I looked at him, and I said, yeah, sure. Um, just so you know, this, this kid is one of those children who sometimes can have this allergic reaction to staying in one spot for over five seconds. <laughs> so if me staying with him for a few more minutes can help him settle, I would gladly do that. And as I was sitting there with him, I realized that, wow, that was one of the sweetest thing I've heard all week. And it comforted me. And it made me feel like I belong, even though for a very short moment. Um, so... In my experience, connecting with people who are in the same life stages is easy, right? It sometimes feels even effortless and immediately gratifying. We can share each other's life. Um, however, connecting with someone who is in different life stages 
uh, in this case, maybe people who are younger, the youngest among us, can give us a fuller sense of belonging. And I'm constantly amazed by their curiosity and their realness and their honesty and their zest for life. So for a practical suggestion today, I would encourage us to connect with people who are from different life stages. And while I'm here today, I have just the right opportunity to offer you. <laughs> so, the River Kids and youth have included this insert in your Sunday program. We are looking for someone who may enjoy helping or spending time with us just for a few times in the next five weeks. Five months, sorry, five months, that's right. Um, we will run background check, but no prior experience is needed. In fact, you might come away gaining something, something new. So if this opportunity speaks to you, please mark your connection card or email me. And all the information is here. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to share a tip that um, I've come across when I've thought about and I've found myself in situations where I've wanted to increase my sense of belonging and my sense of really being a part of the community. And when I want to do this, I, I try this mentality shift. And I, th I think I'm here not just to get something, but to be a part of something. So I do that on Sundays. I do that in my apartment building. I do that in my neighborhood. And here's what it would look like, and here's what it looks like here on a Sunday. Or something you could try. Wear a name tag. Name tags are cheesy and laughable, but they indicate a desire to be known and to interact. If you're wearing a name tag, you're indicating to someone, I would be open to meeting you and talking to you. Sometimes we don't want to wear them, right? Because we want to be anonymous. But by wearing a name tag, we're kind of putting ourselves out there saying, I'm here to interact. Another thing, and this is just very basic, it's to smile at people. You know, when we're in a crowd of people, it is just human nature to look at the floor when we're walking by someone or to get very interested in our phone when we're on an, el an elevator. But if we can make eye contact and just smile, we're telling that person, I'm friendly and I wouldn't mind interacting with you. It's just a simple thing that we can do. Another thing is to break the ice. And I just had to put this one in motion because we moved offices just recently. And now we're on the 11th floor and we've got lots more people on the floor than we've had in previous spaces that we've rented from. And I knew right away I had a decision to make. I could either go to work and to be on the 11th floor to do my thing 
or I could go there to do my thing and be a part of the 11th floor community. So I was in the bathroom just on Friday, washing my hands, standing at the sink, and someone else comes in and stands right next to me. She's washing her hands, and I'm thinking, all I want to do is just keep washing my hands and not look up. (laughs) And I thought, but I want a sense of belonging. I want a community on the 11th floor. So I looked up and caught her eyes in the mirror, and I felt so stupid. I said, hi. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I've been thinking, I really like your glasses. Where did you get them? And we had this lovely conversation. And I saw her later as I was going to get coffee. We walked by each other and we're like, hi. And it totally changed everything by breaking the ice. It helps us break out of ourselves and into community. So hi or good morning are all ways that we are present, not just to get something, but to be a part of something. And next, John will share his tip. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, my name is John. I knew she was going to say that, but I'm not talking to anybody in the men's room. I'm sorry. I just That's not going to happen. You know, different strokes for, you know, I, I love this picture that um, Caroline paints of that, that faith in many ways is a network of relationships and that being a part of a community, it's not just an add on to following Jesus. In many ways, it really is following Jesus. And it always has been part of being part of God's community. And it is true, as Caroline said, that I spent my uh, pretty much my adult life trying to learn how to be a part of building healthy faith communities. And it's still our great passion life, which is why we are here, which is kind of weird because I'm actually an introvert, uh, but we'll leave that for another time. It, it just amazes me. I think I still love it because it amazes me um, what can happen in a church family like ours. It's pretty unique, and I love love what can what it can be. I like the image of a tapestry. I think that's kind of a nice way of thinking about it. A tapestry of, you know, each of us are individual, varied threads. And for a time, our lives get woven together in, in a little way. I think that's interesting. We're each unique and independent. We each have our own story. But, you know, for a while, at least while we're here together, we are being woven together into something that's bigger and more interesting than just a single thread. Our lives are coming together. You know, people come and people go, but while we're in this time and place, this season of our lives, we're becoming more a tapestry, which I think sounds nice, and it's poetic. But you know what happens when your life rubs up against a bunch of other lives? Friction. There's some friction involved. That's just natural. You know, we've just kicked off the seven principles relationship class, and uh, it's this great class, and it's based on 30 years of research by a guy named uh, John Gottman. He's studied relationships over years and years, observing thousands upon thousands of committed couples, and uh, he breaks the, the findings down, and there are masters of relationship, and there are disasters of relationships, and what can we learn from them? But one of the interesting things that came up just recently is that what both masters and disasters have in common, miscommunications and misunderstandings. They're consistent. It's par for the course. 
So when you study relationships, the evidence says it's not just masters of relationships don't have miscommunications or they don't have misunderstandings or hurt feelings. They do. They absolutely do. So everybody has them. What makes the masters a little better off is that they figure out how to deal with them a little more fruitfully. So I think that's kind of interesting. And my favorite part of the manna story, uh, when I read it, you know, during this week, was that the day-old manna was full of maggots and had a terrible smell, and Moses got angry. I just found that kind of charming, and I don't know, it's realistic. You know, there's like, there are some downsides. There's, there's you know, put it like this, community life. We have been doing this for 30 years, I suppose, building community life. It's not all puppy dogs and rainbows and the smell of freshly baked bread and twinkles coming off warm and bright Dink. you know it's it's not exactly like that it's not always easy to be a part of a community or in a committed relationship sometimes it's uncomfortable in one way or another and i found over the years that it's helpful to have realistic expectations most of the time most of the times around here, I think the interactions are very lovely and encouraging and uplifting and soul-expanding. I think we all believe that. But once in a while, you know, there's maggots and smelly moments. There's these, like, weird little things that happen. That's, but remember what this research tells us, that misunderstandings and miscommunications and hurt feelings actually are par for the course in any relationship even the most committed relationships. And of course, really, those are just there. Those are opportunities to grow closer if we make, you know, make that choice. So my simple practical suggestion is this. Don't freak out at friction. It's part of the deal. Here's Caroline. Thanks, John, for that image. It's realistic. Um, to close it off, my practical suggestion is to suspend your judgment because judgment kills relationship, as we all know. River, especially in particular, we're a pretty diverse group of people. We um, racially, culturally, we have a lot of different people from different backgrounds, different life stages, um, from different countries, a lot of of us are actually uh, born in different countries or ra were raised in different countries. This poses challenges since it is possible that none of us are completely at home in this community as they would be in their home cultures, right? We're not completely at ease, but it also offers an amazing opportunity to learn and build new ways of interacting with one another because there's no set ways of interacting with people here. If I were to go to a Korean church or Korean community or back to travel back to Korea, which is where I, I grew up, there are certain ways of interacting with people that everyone takes for granted. And if you don't fit in that culture perfectly for whatever reason, then it will forever rub against you. And it will, uh, it will be very difficult to figure out a new way to a new, um, new dynamics to set in, in relationships. But kind of like what the Israelites had in the desert, um, they had left the old culture 
so they had to build a new one. We have that opportunity here. River can be a place for a group experiment for us to create a culture that accepts and delights in everyone in their own unique self. But for that to be possible, we need to remember that my experiences and backgrounds are different from others. Others' expression of love and discomfort and joy and sadness will be different from our uh, you, um, expressions. So suspend your judgment and assumptions. Try to step out of the culture that you are part of, you were part of, so you can really see and hear and connect with each, each individual. I believe all these suggestions together, that we will experience the joy and light of heaven together. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this place that we are uh, together. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for the community. Thank you for the wonderful individuals that you've created and you love that you've brought here together. Pray that you would continue to bless us with um, experiences of heaven in our connections, in our being able to see each other, understand each other, and hear each other. And I pray that it will just be a fun experience that you would press us into a real experience of engaging with others, that we would receive uh, the heavenly food from it, and we would receive healing, and we would receive growth as we journey together as a community. In Jesus' name, amen.